What does it take to be a great man? Do you think that maybe uh, in America there's some confusion about what it takes to be a great man? Seems to be an epidemic, um, this understanding of what it is to be a great man. Um, is, it, is it someone who's tough and independent like Rambo or John Wayne? Or Jack Bauer. 27, anybody? No? I don't watch... 27. 27. 24. I don't watch it, obviously. 27 hours in a day. That's a good man if he can pack 27 hours and 24. All right. Is he uh, rough around the edges and he's ignorant like... Um, uh, like the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond. Everybody's making fun of him behind his back and he doesn't even know it, but he thinks he's in charge, right? Is that, is that a, what a great man is? Um, is he a bumbling idiot like Tim the Tool Man Taylor? That's on TV land. My kids have gotten to see that here recently because, you know, we watch that a lot. Or is he confused about his masculinity like Boy George or uh, Michael Jackson? True story, in People magazine, a psychologist asked his seven-year-old nephew whether Michael Jackson was a boy or a girl. And the seven-year-old said both. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun of Michael Jackson, his legacy or anything like that, but, but it seems to be he was confused about his masculinity. And... Um, I think that there's this identity crisis in the, in the United States that we need to overcome, and it needs to start right here in, in our church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to watch our hero today um, talk about the impact that our lives have on the future. And, and what I want you to realize, men, especially dads, is as goes the nation... As goes the dad, so goes our nation. As go the dad, so goes the family. As go the dad, so goes the church. You will probably have more impact than you will ever know in this lifetime. And for that reason, we better pay attention to what we're doing. Watch this first clip and see how our actions impact things. Three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be. And it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. If you find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face, do not be troubled. For you are in Elysium. And you're already dead! <laughs> Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Maximus is right. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Our actions don't just impact our lives. They impact our families. They impact the future. They impact the nation. If that's true, then I think maybe we better spend some time figuring out what kind of men we ought to be. And, and it's not from Hollywood. That's not where you learn it. God's word is crystal clear about the type of men we're supposed to be. And actually, you can apply these five values. You can apply them to people, great people in the Bible. 
exhibited these five values. But since it's Father's Day, I'm going to talk specifically to men today. Ladies, you don't feel left out. You apply it to you as well. But men, there are five values that God is looking for in a man he is going to use, not only for now, but for all eternity. And let's try to figure out what these are. Number one, God is looking for men who value relationships. That is not what you thought I was going to say first, is it? Ladies, it comes more naturally to you because God designed you that way. But men, God wants you to be men of relationships as well. Men who who value people, people before profits, family before fortune. In this next clip, I want you to watch and I want you to see how the common man in the army, how they respond to three different people, to Caesar, to Maximus, our hero in the story, and to Commodus, he is uh, uh, Caesar's son. Watch how the men respond to them and the clue to, to why they do that has to do with relationships. Check this out. You approved your family. Yet again, Maximus. Let us hope. For the last time. There's no one left to fight, sir. There is always someone left to fight. How can I reward Rome's greatest general? Let me go home. Maximus, they honor you. Have I missed it? Have I missed the battle? You have missed the war. Father, congratulations. I shall sacrifice a hundred bulls to honor your triumph. Save the bulls. Honor Maximus. He won the battle. General. Rome salutes you, and I embrace you as a brother. It has been too long, my old friend. Highness. Here, Father. Take my arm. I think it is time for me to leave. Why did they honor Maximus and not Caesar or his son? I think the key is right there at the end when when Caesar is stumbling, getting on the horse, and and Maximus, without even thinking about it, without thinking about he's a great general, walks over and helps him get his foot in the stirrup. And I think that these men honored Maximus because not only did he lead them into battle, but he cared about their well-being. You see, there's a a huge difference between... um, uh, title of power, position of power, and influence. 
Caesar had the title, right? They would honor him because if they didn't, they could die. Commodus didn't have the title yet, and so they didn't even care about Commodus. But Maximus they honored because he had influence. And which would you rather have when it comes to your children? Do you want to have title of dad or mom? Or do you want to have influence in their lives? If your children are rebelling right now, it probably... I'm, this is a blanket statement. Get mad if you want to. Talk to me later. It probably has to do with their emotional distance from you as their father. Years ago, and I don't remember if it's Gary Smalley or or Josh McDowell, or Dawson McAllister. Man, that's way back there. You have to be old and, and in, the, in the church circles to even know that name. But one of them said this, and I've never forgotten it. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. And so when I first heard that, I was a single man. I was a youth minister, and I tried to use that in my youth ministry. And I noticed every time we would be somewhere on a trip, and, and teenagers, if they rebelled against my authority, my leadership, if I would move towards them in relationship, something strange would happen over the next couple of days. Early on in youth ministry, I would always put the worst kids, you know those kids, the worst kids would always be in my room if we went skiing or at camp or whatever. And the worst kids, it, it never failed. As I got to know them, as I started to pour my life into their lives, their attitude towards me changed. So as I, the leader, moved towards them, we became friends. We had some of the most incredible discussions. We'd be laying there at night and these guys, you know, we're about to go to bed. I'd say, good night, guys. And then they'd start asking me questions. Hey, what about this? Well, I've heard this. What about this? And before long, I became friends with these guys and I was able to influence them. And, and I try to remember that as a dad. I now have, I've got three kids. I now have three kids. I've had three kids for at least 10 years. Caleb's 15. Rachel's 13. Hannah is 10. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but as your kids get older, you have less and less control over them. Now, you may think you have control when they come out the womb. You would be wrong. Can you get them to shut up when you want them to shut up when they're screaming and crying? Caleb cried for 11 months, non-stop. I told Janie, we will have no more children. She tricked me. But he had, he had colic for 11 months. And I remember getting up and just being, saying, God, you're torturing me. I had no control when he was 11 months old. I don't have control now, but you know what? A smart parent doesn't want control. You better want, you better believe I want influence in my kids' lives. I don't want to control them. That'll just cause them to resent me. But I do want to live for something in front of them in such a way that they say, man, dad's the same at home as he is here. He's a mess up at home. He's a mess up here. He's honest about it. At least he's honest. So that they give their lives to something that matters. Distance destroys relationships. And did you know what? If your kids are far from you emotionally, you know whose job it is to move towards them? Yours. One of you is an adult. One of you needs to act like it and move towards your children. Philippians 2, 20 and 21, Paul is in jail in Rome. The Apostle Paul who's writing this. And he's, he's talking to this church that he had started in, in the city of Philippi. And look what he says about this one man. He says, I have no one else like Timothy 
No one else like Timothy. And look what he says, who cares for you, truly cares for you. Other people are interested only in their own lives, not in the work of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that if he was going to make a difference in the people's lives at Philippi, he had to send someone who didn't just say they cared about the people. The people knew that they cared about them. And by the way, it does not count. Because see, if I were to walk up to you and say, do you care for your children? Every, every parent here would say, well, of course I do. What counts is when I go to your children and I say, do, you, do your parents care for you? And your children say, yes. You see, it's one thing to say I care for my kids. It's another thing to mold my life where they feel cared for. Do you see the difference? If every child is an individual, then I, it is my job as dad to figure out their differences, to go to them and love them in a way that they feel loved, to teach them about God the Father in a way that they understand and they can apply to their lives. It's my job. The buck rests with me. And, and men, the buck rests with you. You are the spiritual leader in your home. And, and the sad thing about most churches in America, every church I've been in, the majority of men are abdicating their responsibility. You look at, at most churches. Who are the ones who serve more than anyone else? It's the women. Thank God for the women. Or churches would fold up and blow away. Do you know that the average father spends less than two minutes per day communicating with their children? What kind of relationship can you establish in two minutes? None. And that's why your words don't have impact. That's why you don't have influence. To show our kids that they matter to us, we've got to value relationships more than results. We've got to value people more than profits. And our kids know. Our kids are smart. They know. Instinctively, they know where they are on your priority list. And just another aside, they don't get to be above mama. You are setting them up for failure in the future if you put your children, that goes for moms too, if you put your children above your relationship with your spouse. That is not biblical and it will not work. They need to see you men loving God the Father and they need to see you men loving their mama. God is looking for men who will value relationships. Second thing, God is looking for men of character. You thought this one was coming first. <laughs> Men of character, they're not afraid to be different from the culture. They don't care what anyone else thinks. They don't care what anyone else is doing. I'm going to do what's right no matter the cost. This is something I learned from watching my father. If you say you're going to do it, you do it. If you take a job, you do the job. If you underbid a job, you, you do the job for that underbid. And you learn next time to bid higher. But you are a man of your word. You're a man of character. I want you to watch this next scene between Caesar and Maximus, a man of character. You sent for me, Caesar? Caesar. Tell me again, Maximus. Why are we here? For the glory of the empire, sire. You see that map, Maximus? That is the world which I created. For 25 years, I have conquered, spilt blood, expanded the empire. Since I became 
Caesar, I've known four years without war. Four years of peace in 20. And for what? I brought the sword. Nothing more. Caesar, your life, please. Please don't call me that. Come. Please. Come sit. Let us talk together now. Very simply, as men. Well, Maximus. Talk. Five thousand of my men are out there in the freezing mud. Three thousand of them are bloodied and cleaved. Two thousand will never leave this place. I will not believe that they fought and died for nothing. And what would you believe? They Maximus? fought for you. And for Rome. And what is Rome, Maximus? I've seen much of the rest of the world. It is brutal and cruel and dark. Rome is the light. Yet you have never been there. You have not seen what it has become. I am dying, Maximus. When a man sees his end, he wants to know there was some purpose to his life. How will the world speak my name in years to come? Will I be known as the philosopher, the warrior, the tyrant? Or will I be the emperor who gave Rome back her true self? There was once a dream that was Rome. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. It was so fragile. And I fear that it will not survive the winter. Maximus. Let us whisper now, together, you and I. You have a son. Tell me about your home. My house is in the hills above Tehillah. Very simple place. Pink stones that warm in the sun. Uh, kitchen garden that smells of herbs in the day. Jasmine in the evening. Through the gate is a giant poplar. Figs, apples, pears, the soil. Marcus, black. Black like the, my wife's hair. <laughs> Grapes on the south slopes, olives on the north. Wild ponies playing in my house. They tease my son, he wants to be one of them. When was the last time you were home? Two years, 264 days, and this morning. I envy you, Maximus. It's a good home. Worth fighting for. There is one more duty that I ask of you before you go home. What would you have me do, Caesar? I want you to become the protector of Rome after I die. I will empower you to one end alone, to give power back to the people of Rome and end the corruption that has crippled it. Would you accept this great honor that I have offered you? With all my heart, no. Maximus, that is why it must be you. Surely a prefect, a senator, somebody who knows the city, who understands her politics. But you have not been corrupted by her politics. 
And Commodus? Commodus is not a moral man. You have known that since you were young. Commodus cannot rule. He must not rule. You are the son that I should have had. Commodus will accept my decision. He knows that you command the loyalty of the army. I need some time, sire. Yes. By sunset, I hope you will have agreed. Now embrace me as my son. And bring an old man another blanket. That just kills me. You're the son that I should have had. Don't ever let me hear you say that to someone who's not your son. Because I might smack you in the name of Jesus. At least I'll blame it on Jesus. Um, he says, Commodus is not a moral man. Commodus cannot rule. Commodus must not rule. Caesar didn't get it. If only he'd spent as much time building his family as he did building his legacy, his empire, then maybe Commodus would have been the man he should have been and could have ruled the country. Bible tells us that if we train up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Training takes time. Training can't be done from a distance. Training takes into account the differences in each child and points them towards God. Character is something that is not developed overnight. I want you to look back at Philippians chapter 2 and what Paul says about Timothy. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. The word proved here really means tested character. He has been tested in the fire and he's proven over and over that he's a man of conviction. You see, an opinion is something that you'll argue about. A conviction is something you will die for. And God is looking for people of conviction. There's no saying if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If I were to come to your family and ask them what they know that you stand for, what would they tell me? If I were to go to your job and ask the people around, what does he stand for? They know whether you've told them anything with your words or not. They know what you stand for. And we've got to be constantly looking inside. Am I the same man? Am I a man of character? Because one, one definition of character is who you are when no one's looking, who you are in the dark when no one else is around. If you're not a man of character, if your actions at home outside this building don't match the actions inside this building, your children will know and they'll turn away from the God that you say that you serve. Inconsistent fathers produce insecure children. Unreliable husbands produce unstable marriages. Inconsistent values ruin families. But a man of character, his actions echo into eternity. God is looking for men of relationships. He's looking for men of character. And He's looking for men who are good teammates. You know what a good teammate is? Someone who cooperates with others. You see, in the church, we're teammates. My ideas are good. Your ideas are good. But our ideas together are better. 
When we cooperate, God gets the glory for that, and he also brings us to better ideas. We're, we're teammates working towards a, a common goal. Commodus, the son of Caesar, is not a good teammate. Commodus is all about Commodus. Watch how he responds to his father's decision not to make him the next emperor. Are you ready to do your duty for Rome? Yes, Father. You will not be emperor. Which wise are all the man is to take my place? My paths will pass to Maximus. To hold in trust until the Senate is ready to rule once more. Rome is to be a republic again. Maximus. Yes. My decision disappoints you? You wrote to me once, listing the four chief virtues. Wisdom. Justice. Fortitude and temperance. As I read the list, I knew I had none of them. But I have other virtues, Father. Ambition. That can be a virtue when it drives us to excel. Resourcefulness. Courage. Perhaps not on the battlefield, but there are many forms of courage. Devotion to my family, to you. But none of my virtues won your list. Even then it was as if you didn't want me for your son. Oh, Commodus, you go too far. I searched the faces of the gods for ways to please you, to make you proud. Kind word, one full hug. You must make your chest and help me tight. Would have been like the sum of my heart for a thousand years. What is this enemy you hate so much? All I've ever wanted was to live up to you. Your false as a son is my failure as a father.
what Commodus learned from his father is you do everything to expand your own kingdom. And ambition is what eventually caused him to kill his father. And the irony is he wanted the nation to love him. In the movie, he's like, I want the people to love me. And his ambition, his selfish attitude is eventually what got him killed. And, and at the very end of the movie, if you hadn't seen it, sorry, everyone honors Maximus and they completely ignore Commodus. He failed in everything because he didn't have character. He didn't have the virtues on his father's list. Well, when it comes to our church, our team, God is looking for men who show three characteristics. These are characteristics of a good teammate. And I want you to notice how Paul describes this, sec this next guy, Epaphroditus. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. Paul says that we're to develop relationships with other Christians for three reasons. They were highlighted there. First, the church is a family. He calls Epaphroditus my brother. We're related. We're not like a family. We are a family. The word brother is used 133 times in the New Testament to describe other people who are Christians. We're a family. It's the most used term for Christians. But it only becomes your family if you choose to get involved. If you stay out on the fringes and you never choose to engage with another group of, of believers, they do not become your family. And when you're going to need them most is when something bad happens to you. There are going to be tough times that come into your life. And some people are going to be ticked off at the church because we're not there when they need us, but they never did engage. And sometimes we don't even know when stuff happens until days or weeks later. And people are all mad. We don't even know that they're mad because people chose not to get engaged. Second thing he says, not only are we a family, Christians are a family, but it's a fellowship. Do you know what fellowship really means? Literally, it means two fellows in one ship. You're going the same place. You're going to reach the same destination. You have the same job to, that you're supposed to do together. Paul says he's a co-worker because each of us is given the same task and that's building up the kingdom of God. He also says that he is that he's a fellow soldier. I don't know if you know this, but we're in a war. And our enemy is a is is someone named Satan. My dad loves to get together with World War II veterans. He went to a, a dinner a few weeks ago and, and there were a lot of folks there. Most of them were veterans of more recent wars because my dad's group, um, his his troop, they quit meeting together because so many people were dying. First one we went to was 50 years after he finished serving, and there were lots of men there. But every year, more people are dying than are surviving. Dad loves to get together with those men that he served with because th there's this instant camaraderie because they, they fought a common enemy. And they tell stories, and they get together, and they have a great time together. Well, newsflash, we have a common enemy When we argue and fight over things, all it does is it shows that our enemy has gotten our focus off of him and put it on others. Sometimes others that are sitting just down the row from us. We're so ticked off at them that we can't even see that Satan is driving a wedge between us and he's winning the war. It's time that we figure that out and realize that we have this common enemy. You are not going to make it in the Christian life by yourself. We're supposed to get together, encourage one another, put bandages on one another when we're injured, support one another. Did you know there are over 50 commands in the New Testament that you cannot obey? 
Don't tell me that you believe in the Bible. Don't tell me you love the church if you never go, if you're never attached to a church, if you never read the Bible and you don't do what it says. You only believe the parts of the Bible that you do. Man, I love Father's Day sermons because I can just lay it out there. Moms, I got to be nice and compassionate. But dads don't want that. Dads want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You need real friends. And I'm going to tell you, as, bl- as bluntly as I can, you're not going to get real friends just by sitting here once a week on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock for an hour. You've got to choose to get engaged in a small group if you want to have friends for life. Find one, get involved. Get plugged into a church. And there, there are over 122 churches in the city limits of Palestine. If you don't like this one, okay, find one and plug in. God is looking for men who are committed. Look how committed Epaphroditus was. That's a great name. I think somebody ought to name their next son Epaphroditus. We'll call him Epaph for short. Philippians 2.27. He was sick and nearly died, but God had mercy on him and me too, so that I would not have more sadness. Now, I told you Paul's in in prison in Rome. And so the people in Philippians, uh, in Philippi, they found out that he was in prison and he had some needs, some legitimate needs. And so they take up an offering and they say, okay, we need somebody to take the offering to Paul. And Epaphroditus, Epaph goes, I'll do it. Now, here's the weird thing. It was 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. And Epaph, there weren't boats to take him. There, There weren't trains and cars. Epaph says, I'll walk. Now, if I take up an offering, we take up an offering today, we're going to send it to Amarillo, Texas. I know very well where that is because I grew up just north of Amarillo. It's 500 miles from Palestine. Who wants to walk today? As soon as we finish, who who volunteers to walk to Amarillo? Nobody even wants to try. You don't want to walk to Jacksonville. You got to go all the way to Colorado Springs to get 800 miles from here. Anybody want to walk to Colorado Springs with an offering? That's Epaph. I'll do it. And on the way, he gets sick. And this is not post-nasal drip. This term for sickness is the same term used other places in the Bible when people die from their sickness. Lazarus died. Remember that whole thing when when they came to, to Jesus? They said, Lazarus is sick, and he tarried a little bit, and then Lazarus dies, and Jesus says, well, Lazarus is asleep. And they said, well, if he's asleep, he'll get better. And and Jesus looks at him and says, dudes, Lazarus is dead. That's the same term used here. This was a deadly disease. Epaph didn't turn around and go back. I don't know if you've been deathly ill before, where you're hurling stuff you didn't even know you had. If you're not at home, all you want to do is get home. I'm sick all the way down to my toes. I saw them in the toilet when I threw up. I saw my toes. If you're that sick, all you want to do is get home. Epaph didn't turn around and go back. He stayed there, almost died. He was so committed to the cause of Christ. And it made a big deal in Paul's life. Now, he was committed to finishing the task. And here's the deal. God isn't impressed with great starters. He's impressed with great finishers. Doesn't matter how you start the race, it's how you finish the race. Maximus was a great finisher. Janie absolutely hates this movie. Janie won't watch this movie. I watch it on TV because it's less graphic than, you know, the, the one on DVD. Every time it comes on, I watch the movie. 
There's something. I know how it's going to end. I know he's going to get jacked around. I know he's going to be accused of some things he wasn't accused of. His family's going to be murdered. He's going to be, they're going to try to murder him. They're going to throw him into jail. He's going to be a slave. He's going to fight. And I just keep watching until the end. And there's something inside of me that when he finally gets his revenge, I say, yes. He did it again. And I always say, that's a great movie. And Janie goes, I hate that movie. Every time. I love that movie. I hate that movie. There is something inside of me that resonates with a cause. And I think it's wired into every man. I'm not saying women aren't wired to a cause. Women are wired to relationships and to causes. But every man needs a cause. And if the cause I'm fighting for is wrong, I gave it my all. But I've read the book. We win. And only those people on our team win with us. And I can think of no greater cause. Walmart is not the cause. Your job is not the cause. There's a cause even greater than your family. And we're it. God calls us to be a part of that. One last thing. God is looking for men of courage. Here's what he says about Epaphroditus. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and give him honor, the honor that people like him deserve. He says, here's one. You got two people. He says, I have no one like Timothy and Epaphroditus. You've got to honor men like him. For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do for me from far away. They gave him this offering. It wasn't enough. Epaphroditus stayed, almost died, and he helped Paul through this difficult time. Paul says, because of this, because of this courage of risking it all, I'm going to send him back to you because you need a man like that in your midst. Now, here's my question as we finish up. Is your commitment to Christ risking anything? How risky is it to show up once a week at 11? I'm going to risk my life and go to new life today for an hour. That's pretty risky. It's pretty stinking weak. Are you risking your time for the cause of Christ? Are you risking your talent for the cause of Christ? Are you risking your treasure, your money? Bible says that you're supposed to give 10%. Oh, I can't risk that. That's too much. How big is your God? Don't tell me you have faith if you're not willing to prove it. What are you offering to God? The God who you owe everything to, what are you offering to Him? Does it cost you anything? Paul said one time, I will not offer to God anything that costs me nothing. That's cheap faith, cheap grace. And from what I've seen, it costs Jesus everything to give His life. Paul says, i got nobody like Timothy. You need to honor people like Epaphroditus. I mean, I'm going to tell you, the number one challenge in your life is going to be to live your life 100% tuned into God, living for Christ, because it's going to, you're going to have to step out there sometimes and do what's right, even if it costs you your job. That's where you're risking it. You say, I'm a follower of Christ. I can't do that. And you watch God honor you when you do it. You see, um, it's tough to live out Christ in front of your family, in front of your friends, in front of your business associates. But it's not for wimps. So my question to you today is, are you man enough to do it?